Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels. Our guest this week, we've got Jason Mitchell back on the show. This is a river walleye fishing conversation, great for this time of year. And in this episode, Jason does a great job kind of reflecting back on his whole fishing career and, and all the great spring river fishing that he's had, you know, even before guiding and in TV, growing up fishing river walleyes here in North Dakota. And now that he's in TV for the last however many years, traveling around to some of the biggest spring river destinations and uh, just having great experiences and stories to look back on there and learning experiences for sure. In this interview, Jason shares some really, really fun stories, uh, more specifically, just some great entertaining stories where something was really learned or taken away from it. And so there's a ton of great information you take away from this. Uh, I know I definitely did. I really enjoyed it. Uh, but it's also really fun to kind of listen to Jason just kind of do the kind of behind the scenes conversation. So very, very enjoyable. And this episode of the JMO podcast is brought to you by Shields and Northland Fishing Tackle. If you want to support the podcast, head to the links in the description after you're done listening and check out what these companies have. Again, if you want to support the podcast, head head to the link to Shields or Northland Fishing Tackle. Links are in the description. Now let's get into this interview with Jason Mitchell, River Walleye Fishing. Open water fishing in the spring, which is usually river fishing oriented, is always just like pent up demand. Like, it's just always a fun, anticipated season. And what does it mean to you to get in the boat the first time every year? Well, you know, there is pent-up demand. And so psychologically, you know, once I get out in the boat, I can't go back to the ice. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the things that I love about living in the Midwest is I love the change of seasons. I mean, you know, first ice, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for fall. I can't wait for spring, you know. And, and it's just it's just like a new chapter, you know, and not to say that the old chapter wasn't good because it was great. It's just that, you know, you get to you get to experience something new. And I tell you what, the first nice days, I mean, I've been out in the spring and it was brutal and the conditions were terrible and it was colder than being on the ice. <laughs> but those first nice days where you're wearing a sweatshirt, you can reach into a minnow bucket and grab minnows and, you know, you don't freeze your hands off and, the geese are honking back and forth and it just, you can smell the earth. I mean, it, it just feels like spring, you know, it's like one of the first nice days and you're just happy to be a part of it, you know? And so I love spring fishing and, and for most people to be fair, you know, I mean, the earliest we get out on the water is on river systems, whether it's the Mississippi river, rainy river, Missouri river, you know, the river systems provide those opportunities. And so, I don't know. I, there's a lot of things to like about it. Uh, ultimately, you know, <laughs> some years I feel like I get ahead of the game and I get prepared, but you know, you get out on the water and something on your boat doesn't work the way it's supposed to, or a battery's not working. And who knows? I mean, you've seen all that, you know, oh, yeah. trumper cables running from your cranking battery to your trolling motor batteries and, you know, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But, uh, goodness, it's just a rush to get out there, you know? And, uh, it's just, uh, you know, and obviously there's good fishing too. I mean, that's the other thing is that you can have tough days on a river in the spring. You can have many tough days. There's a lot of things that can go wrong, but the good days are good, you know, and uh, it's an honest opportunity, you know, especially, you know, pre-spawn, you know, where, you know, some of the biggest fish of the year get caught, you know, and so there's a lot of things that are going for it. I mean, it's just, uh, 
Yeah, I just, I love, I mean, it's one of my favorite times of the year. I don't know if I have a time of year I don't like, but this is, yeah, I, I love getting out on a river. You know, for walleye fishing on rivers is probably my favorite thing to do in the spring. Yeah, like, is it just about knocking the rust off for you those first couple of trips? You know, do you always go somewhere local or, you know, given how many awesome opportunities there are in the Midwest, are you like, are you jonesing to really have your foot on the gas right away and go catch some of those big fish? Like, what do you anticipate the most there? You know, I, I try to be an opportunist. Ultimately, you know, a lot of times when I get out, you know, it might be the, say, the tail race or uh, the Missouri River, you know, in North Dakota because it's closer. But, you know, some years it's Wisconsin, you know, because a lot of their stuff opens up a lot sooner, you know. So maybe, you know, whether it's the Fox or the Wolf River or Peshtigo, whatever. You know, sometimes I'll just, you know, it's like I can't, I can't take it anymore. I see all these pictures on Facebook of these people on a river somewhere and they're catching fish, and I just hook up the boat and drive. You know, uh, you know, love going up to the Rainy River in the spring. You know, but uh, there's a lot of cool opportunities. You know, Mississippi River. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and what's really cool is that you know if you get to ever get the opportunity to fish different rivers. I mean, no matter where you go, you have to drive by fish to get there. You know, and and obviously, a walleye is a walleye. But it is fun to go to different places and just, you know, and just see how rivers set up differently. You know, each river is kind of its own unique, has a has its own personality, you know, and uh, current breaks are current breaks. And, you know, but you'll, you know, you'll see things on some river systems that are a lot more prominent, you know, like the wing dams on the Mississippi River or, you know, at times of the year using willow cats, you know. Uh, versus, you know, what you might do up on the Rainy River or the Peshtigo River. I mean, they're all different. You know, the rip and wraps on the mouths of the rivers out on Green Bay, you know, it's a completely different formula or, or pattern than what you'd see on the Rainy River, you know. And uh, some of it's depth, some of it's current velocity, some of it's just the, the personality or the topography of the river where, you know, some rivers are mostly sand with very little rock and, in a lot of braided channels, for example, and there's other rivers that just have one big fast channel of fast current coming right down the gut, you know, and and so it is fun kind of seeing the differences too. And and ultimately, you know, one of the things that I enjoy the most about fishing, I mean, it's catching fish is obviously, you know, yeah, that's that's why we're out there is to feel the tick on a jig and set the hook and rod doesn't move. I mean, that's what we live for, but uh, I love learning, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, you go to different places and you have to have some humility. <laughs> you, know, there's, oh, yeah. you know, sometimes you go to a place and wow, you know, these people have it figured out and I don't, and I'm missing something and then try to figure out what it is. And to me that, you know, the learning part is a lot of fun as well. So, and, and on rivers, you have to be learning all the time. I mean, that's one thing, even if you fish the same river, over and over your entire life you have to relearn some new things each year you know current velocity is a big thing you know uh, how high is the river how low is the river you know where are the fish at you know if they're coming up out of a reservoir if they're coming up out of a lake or you know um you know sometimes there'll be clam beds in an area for five six seven years and then one year it changes you know and you always have to learn and i think that's one of the things that um it rivers can mold anglers to be great anglers you know you look at you know a lot of really good tournament anglers even you know people that do good on reservoirs or lakes i mean in some ways i think if you have a strong river background it it can give people an advantage because you just have to be so nimble and you have to adjust all the time and you have to change all the time and, and it's just fluid it's just uh 
you know, you, you never, you never figure it out. Whereas sometimes on a natural lake, for example, you know, things don't really change that much. You might get some curly leaf pondweed or some Eurasian milfoil, or, you know, you might get a, you know, you might get a, say the weeds might change or the water might clear up because of zebra mussels, but you know, the structure and the big picture doesn't change where on rivers, I feel like that big picture is changing all the time. I think that's hard to grasp for somebody, especially somebody like me that doesn't have a lot of time on a river where, you know, you just think about the size of, of the sandbars, for example, on the Missouri River is something that's been really crazy to me where from one season to the next or from the beginning of spring to sort of the end of the spring run, you know, these sandbars can change just in that amount of time. And it's just, a you know, giant pieces of, of structure that can be fished, you know, that are big enough for, say, 15 boats uh, by the end of the season is still a good spot, but it's like, it's you know maybe like a three boat spot or something like that. I mean, with yeah, heavy or, flow, or, it's just or crazy. The, or the current could fall, or the current could you know the current could pick up in velocity, and the good spots on that sandbar change. You know, and and how the fish set up on on this. You know, sometimes those fish slide off and they're a little deeper, and uh, you know sometimes you know. And what's interesting too is just how fish set up in different places on a river as the year progresses. You know, you get post spawn and you get, say, you fish a river in the middle of summer, you know, when the water temperatures are starting to crank up and, you know, where those fish will move up into faster water. They'll be on the front uh, up current wing dam versus the wing, you know, the third or fourth wing dam downstream. Or they'll be, you know, up at the top of, you know, it's just some fast water. It feels almost too fast and that's where they are, you know, and it's almost like that faster water increases their metabolism i'm not sure maybe it's an oxygen thing when the water warms up but uh, you know you'll see changes through you know like that throughout the year too you know and so rivers are kind of fascinating but what i think is really neat about rivers too and i think most people that you know have fish rivers and there's people that have spent way more time on a river than i have i mean i like to do and i grew up fishing the missouri river a lot when i was young but then obviously i moved to devil's lake and you know been there for many many years now and so there's people that have done it way way more than i do but you know i did it a lot at one time and i loved doing it but the thing that you'll hear when you talk to people that fish rivers a lot is that when you do put those pieces of the puzzle together, in some ways rivers make more sense than, than say, a natural lake or a reservoir at times. And since like a natural lake, for example, there's current and there's water moving back and forth and there's wind and different things. But uh, at the end of the day, fish can be a lot more places, if that makes any sense. Whereas on a river, there's certain things that you can just check off. You know, and in some ways, rivers make more sense. It's, you know, if you can really read water, you know, there, there aren't too many things that, that really surprise you, although there have been things that have surprised me, but it just seems like it just, it's just more black and white where it just, it seems like it makes more sense. And in a river too is, I mean, I, I, I use electronics a lot. I mean, side imaging, for example, is, is so beneficial on a river especially over sand uh live sonar can be really beneficial on a river but if there is one situation where if you had to you could catch a lot of fish without electronics just by reading water a river would probably be it oh yeah 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 while you were talking there i was immediately um just like sort of just brought me back to this conversation i had recently with tom Wynn, where tom Wynn's a guy that 
you know, I think a lot big part of the industry, you know, in the tournament world, like he gets a lot of notoriety for some really cool things that he's done reading his electronics. He's kind of an electronics guru and, uh, you know, just some of his stories of his, his tournament exploits where he's just done some really fancy things with electronics. But my river fishing uh, conversation with him recently, we were like 40 minutes into the conversation. He hadn't said anything about using forward sonar. And I think it just really spoke to you know, him as an angler, he's way more multifaceted than a lot of people give him credit for, but also just the river fishing. For him to learn and build confidence on a river, it, it really, it wasn't an electronics deal. He had to figure out how to read water and figure out how to just read all the physical you know, situations and sort of build that foundation from the ground up and not rely on his electronics until he had really learned all those other elements and just a really great conversation speaks to everything you just said is I think that that's totally true not just with you know the the average angler that's that's trying to figure out uh, rivers for the first time but even for the studs man even for the guys that are just crushing it out there everywhere else it's still so important I think and uh so yeah yeah that definitely resonates with me but I want to cover some situational fishing with you because you are one of the guys in the industry that travels around you see lots of different things. You don't sit on one river system, although love those guys. We love those river rats that just have stuff figured out in certain parts of the world. But for you, more of uh, you know, kind of the, the nomadic um, uh, river experience that you have where you do go out and you know fish the you know the green bay tribs you do go to the mississippi river you are you know a hometown guy in north dakota that spends time on the missouri river you've got great stories on the rainy river i kind of want to tap into all that and that you kind of travel around and just some you know memories are significant situations that you feel like you've been in both successful and even if there's some some days that you learned a lot when it was the fishing was tough, I want to talk situational fishing with you. And you can pick whatever comes to mind if anything does. But on certain rivers, like the Missouri River, your hometown, or maybe we start there. What would be some situations that you can remember you've been in when conditions were really good? Just to kind of build that picture of what's it like to fish the Missouri River when things are good? What should we be looking for for good conditions out there, a good spot? you know, the good fishing strategy, good water breakdown technique. Like what do you think of as being like the best of the best conditions on the Missouri river? Oh boy. I mean, well, you know, it's a double-edged sword because you can't pick the conditions. You can only react to them. Right. And I can't tell you how many days where I went out and uh, maybe I felt like everybody else caught fish and I just didn't. (laughs) And uh, uh, you know, here's something about river fishing is that, it's obviously a lot easier and a lot better when you have decent water visibility. Okay. So if you have say a spring runoff or a heavy rain, or maybe it it snows six inches and melts, you know, and it just dirties the water up, you're going to have a tough time and and you have to almost adapt your strategy to that. And sometimes you can go up or down river and get away from it. Or, you know, sometimes you might be going in part, a stretch of river where there's fewer fish, but you have better visibility and you do better than in, than in a stretch of river where there's a lot more fish, but the water's dirtier, you know? And so water color or water visibility is kind of a trump card with spring river fishing in my mind. But, you know, sometimes you just kind of get into a groove. For example, say, you know, sometimes like, for example, sometimes in the Missouri river, when, when the water's really high, it actually fishes smaller in the sense that there's there's so much current, there's so much water moving down, and there's so much sand getting pushed down river that uh, 
the, the there's fewer good spots. There's fewer spots than when the water's low, if that makes any sense. And you know what? After you know, after people get out fishing, you know, <laughs> there's no secrets. And so some of it's a deal where you know you learn pretty quickly that your strategy is okay. There's ten good spots in a four mile stretch of river. I'm just going to get up early enough and be one of the first people at the boat ramp in the morning. I'm going to get out there first and uh, hit those spots first, which a lot of times these spots will kind of charge up overnight. And, uh, you know, the first person out in the morning on those spots wins. And not only that, but you're kind of in the prime spot or the prime spot on the spot and you're in position. And if you're spot locked, you know, everybody's kind of working around you and you, you kind of have pole position, you know, and then you can, you know, you might have ebbs and flows during the day where, say, you catch a few fish right away, and then it slows down, and then you catch a few more fish at 11 o'clock, and, you know, and you can just kind of be patient and wait for things to come underneath you or next to you if you're pitching, and boats just kind of come and go, but they're not in the best spot, and they're, you know, they're not there long enough to really maximize it. They didn't get in on that early morning rush, you know. And so that might be a strategy. I mean, that's been a strategy many times for us on the river is that uh, we know right where we go and we know right what we have to do. We know exactly where we have to go and we know exactly what we have to do. And we just get to the boat ramp first. <laughs> and uh, we know that there's going to be other boats around us and that's fine, you know. But uh, uh, there have been many times. And, you know, ultimately some of my favorite memories like when I, I lived in Bismarck for a couple of years and, you know, the big thing was going down to Hazleton or the rifle range or Fox, or I'm sorry, not Fox, but uh, the desert and everybody went south. That's where all the fish were. And I spent a lot of time, you know, putting in right at Fox Island or right in town and fishing in town. And at that time there were a lot fewer boats. And, and I think there still are fewer boats, but there's a lot more boats than what it used to be, you know, and now, you know, a lot of people are going North of town, you know, where there's fewer boats, but uh, I like going right in town or even up to double ditch and uh, see like there's fewer boats and, and maybe at times there were fewer fish, but if you're the only person, it's, you know, probably a better situation or if there's fewer bolts it might be a better situation and uh goodness i i can just remember even late later into the year you know long after a lot of the people quit fishing the river after the the traditional spring run was over you know the fish long spawned out and you know people started going to the reservoirs whether it was Oahe or sakakui or whatever you know i would i would you know put in at fox island you know in june or july and and have surprisingly good fishing at times, you know, so I really enjoyed that. You know, I, I enjoyed fishing some of these river systems, you know, kind of after the peak time was over and it was like, wow, I got all these spots. And, you know, now I think on the river, there's a lot more jet skis and pontoon boats and things, you know, that type of stuff wasn't around when I was fishing it, but uh, you know, there was just a lot fewer people. And so I kind of enjoyed that as well. This episode of the JMO podcast is brought to you by Shields. Whether you're shopping online or in-store, Shields offers anglers the best retail buying experience possible. Not only do they have selection of the biggest and best products in the industry, their staff is, is super trained and super smart when it comes to answering your questions. I know personally I've had some of the best experiences that I didn't know I was going to have going into Shields. Maybe I thought I knew what I was looking for or I was really starting at square one. You can be open and honest with 
you know, what you're going to do and, how, and where you're going to fish and how you think you're going to fish it. Most of the associates are avid anglers themselves. I know I've had some really great fishing conversations when I've gone into Shields that I didn't even know I was going to have. By the time I walk out of there, not only do I have what I need and what I want, any questions that I've had have been answered about it. And uh, I probably had a fishing story or two shared again Shields offers, no matter how you shop online or in-store, the best retail buying experience for anglers. So if you want to support the podcast, support Shields by going to the link in the description and checking out what they got. I think that that's a big part of the industry right now is that, um, you know, that going through the COVID era, you know, where we saw a spike in participation, you know, and some of that was... Some of that was new anglers, right? Like, like we can see that there was like more license sales and stuff like that on record. But a lot of it, you know, on uh, some of these, uh, like on rivers and spring, the, some of these opportunities that you know, an already fairly avid angler just had even more time and got to explore more fishing opportunities than than they did, you know, before. So you know, spring river pre-spawn walleye, sort of probably a bucket list for a lot of people. Um, you know, in all these, this isn't just a Missouri River conversation. It's like everywhere. It's like you think about all, you know, all the boats. So then you kind of gotta cherish those, um, you know, those secondary spots where there's less boats, or the secondary run where, you know, it's not the, it's not that popular three, four week run on the river. You know, be either, you know, be the first one out there or be there when everybody's gone. You can capture some good fishing. I think that's a great point. Yeah. And I think another thing that came with COVID, you know, there's just a lot more anglers, right? Which, you know, maybe it was a deal where, you know, kids weren't in hockey anymore and whatever. You know, there's a lot of things that were maybe uh, cut short or didn't happen. And so people wanted something new, so they fish. But I think the other thing that happened was that there was a lot of industries where people made more money than normal. Okay. <laughs> you know, people talk about the, you know, COVID where, you know, devastated the economy, but there's some facets of the economy where people did really, really well. And, you know, so people, it seemed like people were buying, more people were buying boats, more people were buying new boats, you know? And so the number of boats that have been sold, you know, over the last three or four years, you know, we've never seen anything like it, you know, and, and at high prices too, you know, and then now we've got inflation kicking and where it's starting to soften up now. Or, or at least maybe revert back to pre-COVID numbers. But uh, there's just a lot of boats. I mean, there's just a lot more boats than uh, there was 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 30 years ago. You know, and so it's kind of a deal where, as anglers, we have to kind of adapt to that too. You know, we have to, you know, maybe have tolerance for that. I mean, it used to be where if somebody came running by me wide open on the river, you know, 30, 40 feet away, I'd be just like, oh my goodness, what's this guy's problem? You know, now it happens all day. And you realize after like, well, they're better off running by you than slowing down and making even a bigger wake. So just get by and get through it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Good point. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. so you just kind of, you know, you kind of evolve that way too. And you know what? Everybody's out there for the same reasons, you know, and, and uh, I'm not the kind of person that begrudges other anglers. I mean, they're, they're out there enjoying it like I am and uh, there's enough fish for all of us. And uh, just, you know, just try to be polite and courteous to other people and hope they do the same to me. And, and uh, you know, we're all out there for the same reasons, enjoying the same thing. And our big problem isn't more people fishing it's people not fishing and not understanding it and you know not caring about the resource or you know you look over at minnesota you know there you got uh, their minnesota fish which is kind of going off topic real quick but you know they're finally they're getting a lobbying arm over there to you know let's replace our hatcheries that are 100 years old let's put a more of an emphasis on 
Minnesota's natural resources concerning fisheries because it is so important to people in Minnesota and we've neglected it, you know, there's strength in numbers, you know, and so more, more anglers is, is, is a good problem to have. The real, the real problem is if you don't have enough anglers. Oh yeah. And on that same topic, like I was talking to Jay Siemens about this on the show here, uh, you know, kind of at the end of winter there, but like, we're still not even at the point where we're selling as many licenses as we once have. So nobody can say that, oh, I've never seen so many anglers, because if you've been fishing for more than 30 years, you've definitely seen an era, you know, uh, you know, 25 to 35 years ago, um, you know, that little time span where there was way more licenses sold in the country than there are now. And also with all the technology we have, we talk about it on this show a lot. The time to be in fishing is now. We're learning more about fishing opportunities now than we ever have either. Whatever species you're talking about, we're finding new patterns on lakes. We're finding the people can spread out because we're realizing that there's more fish around probably than than we thought, or at least fishing opportunities. And we're starting to appreciate other types of fish too. I mean, like there's no excuse not to be have some grace and be polite to each other and appreciate the participation because we all help each other. We're all on the same team. So yes, great point. Sidetrack. Let's get back on rivers. Let's talk about the rainy river. Um, we've talked about the rainy river before, whatever we brought it up. I want, I want you to think about the rainy river and a situation or situations that stick out in your mind um, from your past experience on the rainy river that made that place special to you yeah i I really like the rainy river i like it a lot i mean it's it's one of my favorite places and and probably the knock that the rainy river gets is the number of people you know and that's kind of the i mean it's legendary i mean you know you wait you you get there at six in the morning and you wait for 45 minutes to load your boat there's you know just lines of people ahead of you there's lines of people behind you you drive four miles back out to the main highway to find a place to park and there's some kid with a golf cart that's, you know, give him 10 bucks and he'll give you a ride back. Or some people will put bikes in the back of their trucks and ride their bikes back to the boat ramp. And, you know, it's just, <laughs> you know, and that's a big turnoff for some people. And, you know what, the fishing's so good, I don't care. Or the fishing can be good, I, you know, and I I just love it. And, I you know, once you get on the water, you know, I mean, I've, yeah, you usually have people around you and, you know, and it is what it is. And, and uh but goodness, I mean, you can catch a lot of fish. You can catch some really big fish. I just, I really think it's special. When it's on, it's on. Now, the Rainy River can really be a double-edged sword in the sense that the forks break loose and that water gets muddy. There's tree branches and ice chunks and debris floating down river, and it's just so muddy. It's like chocolate milk. You know, it's it's one of the toughest places to be, and I I would. I mean, it's always worth trying, but I would dare say you might as well turn around and go home <laughs> or fish for sturgeon. I mean, yeah. or, you know, maybe you can go all the way down to the mouth and find a little bit cleaner water where you can see four inches and spot lock and jig or, you know, I mean, you better make some changes, you know, and it's going to really affect your day when that happens. But uh, when you have decent visibility and those fish are in the river, I mean, it, it is cool. I remember one time, we were up for uh, the, they called the rainy river run. It was put on by the guys up in international falls. And uh, we were up there and it's kind of a, it was kind of a get together event. And uh, I was just up there fishing. And I, I got in late the night before, I think we were actually up in Manitoba filming Lake Trump. And I 
went home, hooked up the boat and ran over to the river. And, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of a doer, you know, didn't know if half my stuff was going to work. You know, I probably wasn't the most prepared. I was like going from one thing to the next, you know? And, uh, anyways, there was a fun group of guys there that one of the guys ended up, he had terminal cancer. His name was Harry. And, uh, like two or three of his buddies, I think two buddies plus him, maybe there's three of them. I can't remember, but three or four of them. But anyways, they wanted me to go out and take them fishing. And, uh, you know, that sounds great, you know, and, and, and Harry ended up passing away a year later. So it's just kind of a really neat, special memory. But, uh, you know, sometimes things happen in life. You think, man, there, there must be somebody, something else has had a hand in this, you know, and it, and it kind of, uh, uh, maybe leads you to faith or, or just like, wow, there's something bigger than me. But, uh, we took his boat out. He wanted to use his boat. And, uh, so yeah, I'm just, you know, basically I'm just running the boat for him. And, uh, there are so many people in the boat that I wasn't really worried about fishing. I'll just run the boat for you guys here and we'll see if we can find some fish. Well, I hadn't been on the rainy river that spring, you know, <laughs> and I hadn't even had a chance to really talk to anybody, you know? And so I think it was, uh, Oh God, what ramp was it? It's on the tip of my tongue, but, uh, it was, we put it at the ramp that everybody wanted to use and, uh, we're kind of hopping around and, um, you know, I know nothing about nothing. I, I don't even know if I'd ever been on that particular ramp before. And I see where a few people are fishing, but I don't want to move in on them. And, and um, you know, we're, and I'm, you know, we're going to different spots that maybe look decent from afar, but then when we get there, it's either too fast, too shallow. This wasn't feeling right. We were trying some different things. I think we caught like a small pike, and it's probably like 10 o'clock in the morning now. We've been out there for a couple hours and thinking, my goodness, what am I going to do with these guys? I guess we'll run downriver or upriver. we got to make a change. And so as we kind of ran upriver from the boat ramp, and we kind of ran out of water. It got really shallow and it got really fast, and there was a bunch of big rocks ahead of us. And uh, at one point, I seen a jet boat squirt out from that channel out of those rocks. Like, huh, a jet boat, you know? And um, so I kind of poked, you know, here I'm running somebody else's boat on a river that I'm not that familiar with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh, <laughs> and, uh, wild. So I poked this boat up into the rocks there and the, whatever, and the channel got really fast and kind of really, it was like rapids, like really treacherous, right? But I remember thinking, ah, that jet boat came out of somewhere. And if, you know, and the thing is, like, you know, you get, like, rapids. That's, like, a major obstacle. The, the water below those rapids is just too fast, too shallow. It just didn't have the right look. But I thought, God, if there's a pool or a pocket up from this, I bet it's really, really good. And so I take somebody else's boat up these rapids. It's a lot further than what I anticipated. But, you know, I, I mean, I know how to read water. And so I drove somebody else's boat up some pretty treacherous rapids. And I want to say we went up maybe a half mile over a couple of curves. And there's a couple of hairy spots. Um, really, really fast water in places. <laughs> and these guys are just white knuckle. Get up there. Don't even put a mark on his boat. Everybody's just astonished. And we get up there and we come around a curve and the, and the river widens. There's a kind of a hole with a sandbar and then another rapids up above it. And there's like six or seven locals. Half of them are in jet boats and they're all giving me the stink eye like, how did you figure out how to get here and what are you doing here? <laughs> no, that, I thought, oh boy. And, and as I'm looking ahead, there's like six seven boats up ahead of me and like half the boats are netting a fish nonstop. <laughs> it's like we walked across the desert on a camel and we finally found the oasis, you know? And uh, so we, 
get in and the boat didn't have spot locks so we anchored and um I, I wanted to be polite, so I just anchored kind of on the bottom of the hole. There's a nice little sandbar that kind of shot out and curved around. There's just a beautiful, beautiful back eddy. And amazingly, there was nobody in that part of the spot. Everybody was kind of up on the top of the hole. Right below, there's another like a kind of like an underwater, almost like an underwater rock dam. And some boats are actually coming over it from upstream. And uh, really fast water up ahead. And then there's a kind of, a, they were fishing a different eddy. And so, we anchored up and we started pitching jigs around or just started catching fish. And, and we, you know, it was kind of a shallow sandbar eddy where we were catching bigger fish. I mean, the, the boats up at the top of the hole were catching more fish, but they were catching a lot of like eater sized fish. Well, we were kind of on the down the bottom of the hole on a back eddy up on some sand and the sun was out. It was like one of the first nice warm days of spring. That sun was beating down on that sand and those big fish were laying on that sand and it was just you know, I think the smallest fish we caught was maybe three pounds. I mean, it was just, it was just, we caught a lot of fish and Harry caught a bunch of fish and, you know, he ended up dying, you know, a while later, but uh, kind of a neat memory. I know it's a memory that everybody in that boat kind of shares as well. It's just a great day of fishing and talk about getting lucky. I had no idea where I was even going. And so we get back at night and, you know, you know, people ask how we did, and everybody's chirping, you know, about all, the, you know, the people that were fishing with me were talking about all the fish, you know, all the big fish, and I had all these beautiful pictures, these big spring rainy river walleyes, and, and uh, you know, obviously everybody wants to know where I went, and I'm trying to describe the spot, and everybody's eyes are like, you you went there i don't even let my guides go there you know guys are saying, yeah yeah like, yeah like you you're not supposed to go there that's like one of the most dangerous places around i can't believe you took somebody else's boat what are you crazy or stupid or what you know <laughs> maybe a little bit of both <laughs> yeah yeah but so, anyways, like- so get this another guy that was there his name was jason i've gotten to know pretty well he wanted to go there the next day well he's got a big ranger like well can you get my big ranger i don't know we sure try and uh, uh beating up his propeller a little bit on that run but uh got up there the next day with this big ranger boat and everybody's like what is that big ranger boat doing here you know and uh uh we ended up catching a bunch of fish you know so that was kind of a cool memory you know sometimes you just have to wing it and uh you know <laughs> maybe do something stupid once in a while you know i've done a lot of stupid things on rivers just trying to find something different or cool or you know like you look at a sandbar and think, well, i wonder what's is that I think that's six, seven, eight feet on the backside of that sandbar. And if it is, it's going to be one of the greatest things I ever find this spring. And you, you get stuck getting back there. Nope, it's only three feet. <laughs> you spent half the day to pay your tuition, you know. But uh, you know, I'm I'm always yeah, I'm always uh, digging up props or uh, scratching. At least you know your your skeg is polished if you're doing it right. So yeah, like on the rainy river, think back on a memory like that, like like. What made, what do you, what were the the conditions? You know, you described that spot a little bit, but like what would be some other fine details that would sort of describe why that spot had those nice fish in it and the rest of the river was probably having a tough day? I don't know. Well, there's other people that caught fish too. I mean, we had a great day and I know, you know, the people that were back at the, hotel later that night you know there's many people out fishing and we might have had one of the better days other people had good days as well i i you know i think some of it is you know if you go up to the rainy river i think it's really important to get an ontario fishing license it used to be where you had to have a remote border crossing permit that's changed you just you have to have a rainy river 
or I'm sorry, you have to have a Ontario fishing license and you can't touch shore, you know, and, and you'll get different interpretations. Sometimes every time I go up there, I hear something different. So you got to, you know, check the latest, but uh, used to be where you had to have a remote border crossing permit and an Ontario license. And, and your I remember, passport. Yeah. And I used to, you know, I remember driving across, you know, over to, you know, uh, Ontario and, you know, spending three hours at customs getting a remote border crossing permit and then, you know, fishing and it was just a pain. And so that's changed a little bit, but uh, I, I really like the Ontario side just as a rule of thumb, there's fewer people fishing it, especially when you, when it did require remote border crossing permits. And there's a lot of good spots on that side. And so, yeah, we were on the Ontario side. So that was part of it. And maybe those other people just had Minnesota licenses and they didn't have an Ontario license. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing that might've been a part of it. And so that was why we were able to get, on it in the first place is that if we've been on the Minnesota side, there might've been three boats sitting there already. We wouldn't have been able to, you know, get in it, you know? And, um, I don't know. There's, I love, I love where you have a back eddy where you've got current going one way and then it spills around and it comes back the other way. And there's a seam in the middle. Um, those spots are pretty universal. I mean, sometimes it might be formed by, by a bend and a clam bed, it might be formed by a wing dam. It might be formed by a by a sandbar, and just the, the turn of the channel, the river. There's a lot of different things that cause that, but uh, you know those back eddies are are real sweet spots. Um, and most good current seams will have a back eddy of some sort. You just have a change in direction. You have current going one way and current going back the opposite way as it as it rolls around. And I think the sunshine and the warm the warming day probably had a factor too. You know, it was nice warm sunny day and that sun has heat i mean here's what i compare it to so you know these females are trying to warm up and the spawn on the river doesn't happen like like a, like on a one day two day window it's kind of staggered it kind of happens over a period of time and not all the fish spawn on the same day or the same night or the same time and i think these fish are trying to warm up and so when you get that warm weather and that nice weather, I think those fish just like, to, they want to warm up. They want to speed things up, you know, and I, I'm not a biologist, but I think there's something to do with their eggs or their eggs, you know, get ready and, and start to separate. Whereas they're kind of sticky. And then they kind of, you can kind of tell when a fish is close to dumping her eggs when she starts leaking eggs all over the boat and they fall apart and they don't stick together, you know, or if you ever flay a fish, you know, that uh, has eggs in it, you know, they stick together. Like if you catch a female in the fall and, you know, late fall, they've got some eggs in them and they, they're all stick together. And then as the water warms up, it almost like causes them to separate and they're not sticking together anymore. And so I think it's just a, just a kind of a biological drive to, to get as warm as possible, to warm up as much as possible. And even though the water's cold, uh, they still like that sunshine. And it's kind of like if you say, if you sit in your car in the wintertime and it's say it's 10 degrees out or even 10 below but the sun's shining through the windshield and the inside of the car feels warmer you can actually feel the heat of the sun on you even though it's cold i think that happens underwater too even though the water's cold that sunshine hitting the backs of those fish warms them up and i think it just speeds up their metabolism a little bit you know and so i think that's kind of a universal thing that if you have those nice warm sunny days especially in the afternoon uh boy you know pre-spawn or even you know post-spawn too it seems like a lot of those big fish just like to go up and soak up that sun you know so yeah there's probably a lot of different things i mean one of the things that makes the rainy river somewhat unique too is that there's a lot of a lot more what i call like a sawtooth bottom in place where you'll just have a bend in the river maybe 12 to 
maybe or maybe seven to fourteen foot kind of a flat in a bend in the river where it slows down on its inside turn, and you have these sawtooth bottom where there's like dips, like almost like a sawtooth, and those fish will lay in the dips, you know, and they're kind of big spots sometimes, you know, and um, and that's probably why the rainy river can attract so many people is that some of those spots are big and long, and they can hold a lot of boats, and there's spots in the rainy river where, you know, you can have 50 boats fishing a spot, and so with that being said, sometimes if you're forced to fish, big spots and there's a lot of boats sometimes you really have to be patient if that makes any sense you have to almost wait your turn okay there's a boat in front of you that netted a fish there's a boat behind you that netted a fish i've made two passes now and i haven't caught a fish sometimes you just have to just put your head down and be patient wait your turn it's just a numbers deal and if you can make the best decisions you know statistically you you know over the course of the day you can have a good day or even a better day than most by just not coming and going and spending your time where there's fish and realizing that you're going to see fish get caught around you and don't let it rattle your cage because you didn't catch a fish on a specific pass if that makes any sense at least that's what i tell myself to kind of walk myself off the cliff when <laughs> i made three passes in a row and i'm like god everybody's catching about me what am i doing wrong and you just you know, sometimes you're, you know, you can, you know, maybe use a heavier jig or, you know, maybe mix some things up, maybe, you know, change with some plastics or maybe go to a minnow instead of plastics. You can, you know, kind of look and see what other people are doing around you too, to see if there's a pattern like, oh, people are catching fish for using minnows. I better start using minnows or, you know, you gather some information that way, but sometimes you just have to realize, you know what, I just have to wait my turn. It's not my turn yet. When it is my turn, I'm going to, if they give me an inch, I'm going to take a mile, you know. This episode is brought to you by Northland Fishing Tackle. When I tie on a lure that comes out of a Northland package, the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into designing and developing and producing that bait is second to nobody in the industry. They have an unbelievable pro staff of knowledgeable anglers that help with the design of all these products. Again, when I tie on a lure that comes out of a Northland package, I know that it is going to do everything that they developed that lure to do, whether it's their jig design or the action of a crankbait. It is what you want when you buy it. If you want to support the podcast, support Northland Fishing Tackle, head to the link in the description. It'll take you to Northland. You can check out everything they have, including their bundles packages that uh, they've done such a good job creating these bundles. Whatever kind of fishing you're preparing to do, whether you're just bulking up for the season for your home body of water or you're traveling somewhere and you just, you know, you, you need to fill up a tackle box with something uh, with a purpose. They've got bundles put together that are probably built exactly the way you need them already you don't have to shop lure to lure to lure they've got these bundles so check them out at the link in the description to support this podcast so i got a situation you know somebody might uh, be able to take a lot away from this i think like for you almost like giving some advice here but uh but speaking to your own experience you've fished a lot of rivers so you've that means you've fished a bunch of rivers for the first time I'm sure you can think, you know, you can think about all kinds of memories where you went somewhere for the first time. Do you, your strategy, you know, and we've got all kinds of information nowadays. So you, you know, you kind of know it's not hard, especially when you go to these destination fisheries. Um, like it's not hard to already kind of have some general information to start going on. But as far as breaking down the water and breaking down spots, do you typically go try to find, 
um, or do you appreciate more like a community spot right away, just to sort of get a feel for what what's going on the river, the the patterns like you were just talking about? Go to the bigger spots, or don't be scared to go to the bigger spots and wait your turn, just to kind of get a feel for what's going on before you maybe go off and try to find your own thing. Or are you the type of guy that you you get on a river, you see a handful of boats or a bunch of boats? Like, are you trying to find your own little wrinkle right away? I've done both. You know, I've done both. I mean, sometimes, uh, like, for example, in the Rainy River, you know, I've tried finding little nooks and crannies, and uh, there's some. And, uh, uh, you know, or, you know, some of the small spots, you know, there might be, you know, four boats spot locked on it, and and you kind of look into it, and, like, ah, there's just not enough room for me. And so try to find another spot that looks kind of like it, and then you get into it, and the current's too fast, it's too shallow, it's too doesn't have the right look and just doesn't feel right. And maybe you spend half a day trying to find some little wrinkle, right? And you just can't find it. And then you realize that, well, I'm just going to have to go do what everybody else is doing, you know? And, and, um, you know, that's the conclusion, you know, by the end of the day and and you can go and catch fish that way. And, and uh, then there's other times where, you know, there's a bunch of boats doing one thing, you know, maybe it's a tail race situation and everybody's slipping with three waves or whatever it is. And they're going, ah, I don't not want to join that today. And, and, uh, and you realize that, wow, there's all kinds of things to do besides the prominent pattern and the handful of prominent spots where 80% of the boats are, you know, and, and, uh, some rivers just have a lot of character with way more spots than what you'd ever think, you know? And so, um, I've, I've been on both sides of that fence, to be honest with you. Um, I've, I've spent a lot of time trying to find spots and, um, I guess you never waste time because you're learning something, you know, you're learning, you know, I mean, time not catching fish is valuable too, because you're learning, you know, but, um, I've spent a lot of time trying to find spots in rivers that just didn't pan out. And, and some of it's a calculated risk, like on the Missouri river, you know, I know that, Hey, I might waste a whole day, but if I can find one or two little nooks and crannies that just for whatever reason don't look good from a distance and um, people don't realize they're there, they're, they're, they can be just sweet, sweet spots. And uh, and when you do find those spots, it's really, really, really special, you know. And so, yeah, I mean, I've been on both sides of that coin. I've wasted a lot of time looking over water that maybe look good from a distance and you get into it and that's ah, just not the right look not the right feel and usually it's you know not enough depth of water is probably the big thing or too fast of water and and probably the big thing like i you know i do go to rivers for the first time and and uh you know a lot of times when we go and film you know we will line up with local guide or somebody that really knows the river where they're basically holding our hand and you know and and showing us what to do and where to do it you know and that's a big part of the show because those people have way more better information to offer than i do you know where the fish and, and the guests in a lot of cases are the stars of our show not me but uh, i have gone to rivers as well where i just went by myself and and um spent a lot of time looking and uh ultimately you know i i think probably the biggest thing that i use personally when i'm trying to learn a river for the first time like I've, i'm just unfamiliar with it don't know where to go or what to do you know i'll look and see what the local boats are doing you know and, and kind of get a some general baseline patterns that way but uh, good spots are good spots, you know, and, um, you know, you're, as far as reading water, you know, we're talking about that eddy where you've got a reverse flow. That's one thing. Usually it's caused by some type of an obstruction or some type of a bend in the river, what have you. But, um, 
and then you have to have the right depth, you know. So sometimes you might have a current break or you might have something happening, and and then you may have some slack water, for example, next to some fast water, but that slack water is too shallow, you know. Or it might be a deal where the water is just too fast. And so I use my trolling motor a lot. So I, I'm looking at what I'm seeing on top of the surface of the river. I'm looking at the surface itself as the biggest clue. That, to me, is more important than what I'm seeing on my depth finder. Okay, as far as just a ten thousand foot view, trying to identify good river spots, and um, I'm I'm seeing I'm looking at what I see on the surface, and then I'm also using my trolling motor in the sense that some spots kind of look right, but then you get into it, and I was like, wow, I'm, my trolling motor is on six, and I'm still losing ground. <laughs> That's too fast, you know. Not to say that sometimes those fish will be in that fast water if it's slow on the bottom and fast on top, where you might have to say pull three ways or crankbaits, but for a lot of stuff where you're using jigs especially you know you need you need you need it a little slower on top and slow on the bottom or slower usually it's not complete slack water but it's it's slower you know um, after the fish spawn sometimes i'll find them actually go up into some of the slack slack water even more so but uh, usually before the spawn it seems like they, they still like to have the water moving just at a really reduced rate if that makes any sense i think they like to lay next to the bottom let things come by them you know, it's kind of my, it's always been kind of my theory of what I thought. Right on. Any, any nuggets on like smaller rivers, you know, like rivers may be so small, we can't name them, but you know, that, you know, whether it's maybe shore fishing and walking the bank or, um, you know, some smaller rivers that maybe you've been on or, or filmed on any, anything that comes to mind there as it pertains to like smaller rivers where, well, um, it's a, you know, that's a great thing to bring up because it's such good fishing. I mean, I, I think a lot of people will be floored at the at the great fishing on small rivers, you know, where a lot of cases you can't even get a boat into. And I think that's really cool for the industry. There's places where people can run down after work without a boat, just some hip boots or maybe waders if you're a little bit more adventurous and um, and and catch really, really nice fish from shore, you know. I think we need more places like that and maybe more people to talk about it. And like you said, you don't really maybe necessarily want to name a specific small river because, you know, again, when you're fishing for shore, most of the rivers are privately owned on the banks or the shorelines. And you've got just a handful of places that you can access. And, and usually those places are already busy, you know, but uh, uh, like favorite things that come to mind are any type of coffer dam or any type of a dam obstruction where there's, uh, you know, fast water and a structure where those fish can't get over or get get past i mean those are dynamite spots at the springtime sometimes you know these really small shallow rivers you know they might most of the river might be say three or four feet and there's a couple of holes here and there that are maybe five six seven feet and those are the spots where you want to fish you know but um river fishing small river fishing especially can be tremendous i mean it's it's uh it's way better than I think what a lot of people wouldn't would ever imagine. Yeah, I just want to throw a bone there for all them small river guys out there because we get questions on it all the time but yeah, like it is just such a really cool opportunity that I think is just um underappreciated by anybody that lives, you know, within biking bicycle range, you know, I mean, it's like I just think back when we were kids like, you know, you you would kill for just any day, like we weren't so picky once upon a time at, at you know how good the fishing <laughs> no. opportunities were supposed to be. And now, when you look back on it, what's old is new because 
it's unbelievable how like you get to some of these spots and it's just nothing but a bunch of 14 year old kids or 10 year old kids, you know, and it's like, that's great to see. It is cool. But they're catching four pound walleyes and it's like all these guys with these big ranger boats are driving, you know, another 400 miles to go somewhere else. It's like, oh man, it's like, there's definitely some guys out there that are enjoying it and they're doing a good job keeping it a secret. That's one of the best, you know, I think that's one of the best stories of fishing is, uh, the number of walleyes get caught from shore on river system, even big rivers at times, right? Even like uh, out of Wisconsin, you know, I mean, there's a lot of shore fishing on, on river systems. And the number of walleyes caught from shore, well, you know, so many people are racing around in an $80,000 boat that is catching a lot fewer fish. I mean, that's that can be pretty common. I mean, it can be really common at times, you know, fished by shore anglers because some of the best spots – have shore fishing, shore anglers on them, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's been times where I've pulled, started pulling into it and everything. Boy, this looks kind of good. Then you look up on the bank and there's seven people standing out there with waders. They're going, ah, I can't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're thinking, oh, God, is that a nice looking spot? <laughs> and I can't even fish. I got a boat. You know, I got all this fancy stuff and I can't even fish such a nice looking spot that all the guys got is waiters, you know, and um, there's a lot of spots like that. And I think uh, that's something that people miss. And it's, and I think it's a beautiful, beautiful story that, you know, I, I kind of love it when, uh, you know, people that don't have any equipment or they have the equipment, they know that they're better off leaving it at home and they grab a pair of waiters and a, and a spinning rod. And then you got people that have all kinds of stuff and maybe don't necessarily know how to use it. And uh, those people fishing from shore are catching away more fish. I think that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we could definitely, like, probably at some point we should probably scheme up, like, doing a whole show on on something like that where... Oh, I tell you what, Taylor, so last, I don't know, last couple of years we've done a couple of shore fishing shows in North Dakota on small rivers, or at least, um, like, the one on Devil's Lake last year, it kind of felt like a river. We were up in the in the coolies, you know, fishing in the springtime, you know, which is basically kind of a micro river that flows into Devil's Lake, right? But uh, on YouTube, you know, we you look at our river or our shore fishing walleye episodes are very, very popular. They're some of the most per- popular videos we've ever done as far as views. <laughs> I don't know if you follow that or Peter. They're so relatable. That, They're so relatable yeah. either to, there's you a know, lot of people Google searching. How do I catch shore walleyes or shore walleye fishing? I can tell you that way more than what I think people want to acknowledge in the industry. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. It's so relatable. Whether you're, whether it's something that is like, that's your deal now. Cause you don't have a boat or, or, uh, or there's, you got the opportunities around you. So you're into it. You're, you're, uh, you got your finger on the pulse of some shore fishing around you. But like, I th- also, if you are one of those guys that drives around an $80,000 boat, so many of them probably started out that way, right? Like getting back to like yeah, when you're a kid. Absolutely. So it's a really relatable it's thing. It's kind of romantic. You know, you kind of go oh, back to where sure. it all started, right? And, and, and like, uh, well, you've, you know, Rick Darling really well, you know, one of my buddies that I, fish with quite a bit and uh you know he's always shore fishing and, and wader fishing like early in the year and you know, he says you know I'm, I'm casting a jig i'm catching fish it's fun but i feel like i'm like keeping in shape like i'm keeping in fishing shape for you know just feeling the bite and you know and uh he can run out to some places after work on the west edge of devil's lake and be fishing really quickly whereas you know if he had to take his boat all the way to a boat ramp and then try to fish he'd have a lot less time so i mean here's a guy that is a you know what I would consider a great angler uh, fishes out of a boat all year or all open water all summer and spring and fall, but spends a lot of time wearing hip boots and waders. Yeah, you know, and he's got all the stuff, but he still loves to 
fish from shore. You know? Oh yeah. It keeps you grounded. I love, and I think yeah. that's, yeah. I love fishing from shore too. I mean, a, a fish is a fish, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. And it's you kind know? of a, there's kind of a badge of honor, say, you know, to catch like a, say like a, like a 23 inch walleye from shore. Like it's a different fishing experience and you just, you feel like, obviously you, you can't cover as much water or fish as many spots, right? When you're on foot or, or in a pair of waders. So like the whole element of, of of these small well, rivers in and some the ways I, I feel like it it uh in some ways i feel like it makes you a better angler in the sense that you can't fish everywhere else so you really dissect and get intimate with what's in front of you where you learn every rock you learn every angle from the rock you're standing on. i mean you you really really get dialed in a, in a different capacity than what you ever would in a boat even if you're a spot lock if that makes any sense where like you get like like I remember like um, fishing the tail race you know and uh, casting you know at the time like number eleven floating rapalos or husky jerks you know and uh, there'd be like one rock I'd stand on and then when the water got to a certain level on that rock and I knew that the current was increasing then the fish would move up on a little swirl and and there's like there's like, literally a million rocks along that bank you know below the dam that you could stand on but there's just one specific rock that I had to have and there's a couple of specific angles that I had to cast. And, you know, I mean, talk about, you know, you just get dialed into a, in a way that is just uh, a whole different level, I feel like. And, and if you do, fish, fish the same spots that don't change after, you know, a handful of years, it's just like, like almost like it, I mean, I can remember those spots. I remember, well, yeah, I mean, um, I remember, you know, growing up fishing the terrace a lot as a kid and a young man and then moving away to Devil's Lake and then, I hadn't fished a tail race like in 10, 15 years. I remember going back there. It was like nothing had changed. You know, this is pre-flood, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, like still looking for my rock. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it it puts you in that mental, you know, like you're saying, like it it definitely, it changes your expectations. You kind of have a different, you kind of learn that patience. Right, because like fishing uh, is is really mental, and you got to have that confidence. Yeah, yeah. And you, you got to be patient. It's not like you can run anywhere, everywhere else. Exactly, or the water like you can in a boat. And maybe that can be kind of a vice sometimes in a boat is that we could do too much. We can cover too much water, and and ultimately that is probably one of the biggest things that haunts all of us is uh, not spending enough time in good spots and or getting frustrated too quickly. And you know the old saying, you can't catch fish fifty miles an hour. You know, um, so yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that. Oh yeah. No, I think it's awesome, man. You know, the thought in the spring, the thought of guys, the river rats, like we're talking now, man, river fishing, the the tradition of seeing a bunch of dented, you know, small aluminum hull boats at the boat landing, um, you know, or if you pull in, if you pull in at sunrise, there's going to be 30 trailers. They're already dry in the boat landing and they're all a bunch of small single axe trailers with, you know, 16 foot tillers (laughs) on them. And then all the kids that have, the rods, sp- couple of spinning rods laid across the handlebars of their bikes. They've beat you there too. Like that's like that that tradition in fishing that just we just can never lose. Uh, we could just yeah. never afford to lose that in the industry for sure. But yeah, absolutely. But anyways, man, I appreciate the time. I love talking. You know, see all these different situations that you've been in. You're talking about your memories in fishing. It's fun to hear them. It's super entertaining. But I learn so much when I just hear you talking about fishing and talk about your fun memories of of having some success. Helps us all learn a little bit more what to look for next time we're out there and kind of set our expectations and just good stuff. Just all around good spring river fishing from you. We're going to get caught up um, probably pretty soon down the road. We're going to have to talk about, uh, you know, some true open water, um, you know, once we once we get rid of all this ice everywhere and we actually get in our boats 
and you start spreading around, I think we'll probably call you back and and uh, talk about some some stuff there. But I appreciate the time talking river fishing here, and that's about it. If there's anything else you want to sign off on, any other any other fun you know river fishing uh, motivations uh, that you want to spread out there. Otherwise, man, I'll let you go. I'll let you back to it. Oh, well, that's all I've got. Thank you, sir. Right on, man. All right, we'll talk to you. Once again, this interview is brought to you by Shields and Northland Fishing Tackle. If you want to support the podcast, head to the links in the description and check out what they got.